Yeah, that's Casty's happy noise, by the way. Yes. Has he got a whole vocabulary of noises? It's really weird. Up until last year, he he it's Casty's got about hundred words, but he, he basically can't be bothered to go. He's on this. I don't need them. Yeah. And halfway through last summer, about the middle of lockdown, we were all out in the garden, and he came over to row and went, "Mother, is it time for a cup of tea?" And we were like. <laughs> what? So we reckon because, as you can hear, because the house is so noisy. Yeah. He was obviously thinking to himself, "I'm actually not going to get anything if I don't start making a noise." Gorilla Aspie's podcast, written, recorded. Hello again. Now, if you know the world of science fiction, art, and horror, you'll know Ash Lloyden. You'll recognise his work. Ash has been a freelance illustrator and writer ever since he left Starbridge College of Art. Their losses are gain. His LinkedIn describes him as a bequiffed illustrator, pre-production art guy, animator of strangeness, writer of articles, and sometimes balloon twister with commissions taking in everything. From artwork for 2001 Maniacs, Watch the Pretty Girls Suffer, Strippers vs. Werewolves, The Welcoming, Conceptual Art for the Poet in Exile, Illustrations and Poster Designs for Fright Fest, Cine Excess Festival, Henchman, The Al Leong Story, Millennium Monsters Magazine, Heart for the Daydreaming with Stanley Kubrick Exhibition, Glasgow Museums and the Tax Shelter Terrors Documentary Plus, Portraits for Cameron Dears, Kirk Jones and David Hess along the way. He's drawn everyone. He came to my show and we made friends and he's brilliant and I had the privilege, via the magic of the internet and the Zoom, to visit his home and meet his family. And Ash talks about his late diagnosis as an autistic person Nearly ten minutes into the podcast, when we finished having a right loving. Hope you enjoy it. How did it yes. all begin? Do you think when you were a child that you started drawing? I've always drawn. It's something I've always, always done since as far back as I can remember. And I think it's the thing I, I always say. It's it's not something I want to do. It's not something I like to do. It's something I need to do. Amelia. Here's Cassidy. Can you say hello to Paul? Can you say hello to Paul? No. 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 Discerning man, you know. And here's here's Amber, who will probably say hello. She's very excited. Tell Daddy's friend Paul what day it is today. Jerry Anderson Day. Jerry Anderson Day. We grew up watching him. We didn't realise. I'm now making Jerry Anderson shows. And here is <laughs> proof. Where's the stuff? For God's sake. Oh, there it is. There you are. Proof. Oh, actually, this is the third one I've bought so far. Second season <laughs> War Zoners is set on a submarine. So there <laughs> that's the ordinary <laughs> sailor's costume, right? Hello, there. And here's Ro. The mighty Ro. <laughs> well, good afternoon. Hello. You are the linchpin, the fat, the rock. The foundation of the whole thing. You look like somebody. Oh my God! What have I done? Yeah, you would have been so bored if you were single. 
<laughs> this is how wonderful, and here's some of my toys. Oh, totally cool. It's a massive toy shop. <laughs> the thing is, it's I talk about feng shui that all of this, if you've been to Sigmund Freud's home in Hampstead, you must go and take the family because you will be at home. He had one and a half thousand objects in his study, right? And he managed to get about a thousand, was it? Or it was two and a half thousand in the one in London. He one and a half thousand over to London. He reassembled his study. So he's got his desk and he's got all these objects from Egypt and Rome and Greece. Okay, Egyptian uh, will have you. And he reassembled them on the desk and, and in cases, just like your living room. And if you go there, we found out that um, we found out when we moved, Rowan turned around to my mate Jay and said, The living room here is near enough an exact copy of the living room in the old flat. Yeah. And then Jay turned around to Rowan, That's nothing. It's an exact copy of Ash's old bedroom when he was yeah. a child. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is, I mean, I've been trying to reproduce stuff like that all my life. When I was in, my, in the 90s, I lived in a house of Mother Buddhists, and I had, um, I managed to reproduce my desk that I did my electronics on. I used to build electronic kits, and I had a real sensational, it's an autistic thing. This is your mandala. Uh, it's a feng shui thing, for real, and a mandala. If you can reproduce the same scenario, situation, you get an effect. So with me... That instrument panel is from an Apollo Gemini capsule for action men. That's the never bought that thing. And I've got, yeah, I'll push you. Go so I'll show you this thing. It's very important. So uh, there was a guy on eBay reproducing them. So I got him to do uh -huh. an A3. And that's the toy I never had. And you can, you can still see them online. You look at these things. I could have done so much with that. Now, because it was International Jerry Anderson Day, I then told the family about the one girl in school I found the most attractive. Brilliant. She was really cool. Went to the Eric's nightclub. She wanted to have a son when she was at school, and she wanted him to look like Troy Tempest. <laughs> and that's how significant it all was. I don't know. I think I always liked like the robots and the incidental characters, but I liked all of them equally because I saw myself in all these characters. Yeah, I to be Troy Tempest, but oh, I ended up phone, phones. Who's your favorite character? And in Bible Lake Five, I like Venus. Do you like her Venus. hair? It's very difficult to find interesting female characters, isn't it? Because they're all blokes, you know. Who's Dad's favorite female character? Hmm. Marina Who's didn't bloody speak. Like? Tintin. Yeah, because she's beautiful. It was all secondary <laughs> to Doctor Who, you know. Sorry. Guess what? Guess what? The Thunderbirds character would be Scott, Birdup, Alan, Gordon, and John. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I was always the one, you know, I'd be the Thunderbird one pilot because I'm very ADHD, I guess. Is that so what about me? You like? Alan and Golden. What about yours? I like Virgil because I love Thunderbird too. What about you, Paul? <laughs> I think it's Thunderbird Scott. one, the speedy one. 
Definitely oh. Sandra Bullock. Let's all crack on. Are your favourite Scott Tracy? Yeah. No, we'd definitely be um who's the who's the pilot of Thunderbird One? Scott. Yeah. It must be Scott. Oh, Who's the oldest? Scarlet, to tell you the truth. But Scott's Scott, yeah. the oldest. Scott's the oldest. Who's the youngest? Fly is the fastest vehicle. Yeah. And Alan is the one who sits alone in a space station. Ooh, what does he get up to in the space station? <laughs> he listens to the radio, is the answer. <laughs> Cheers, Paul. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> So that's how Matthew is our resident Jerry Anderson expert. Fantastic. And, and it's International Jerry Anderson Day. Wow. Yeah, I put my Jerry Anderson mix up and a picture of him today that they like. So we bought off there's network distribution that release all the old TV stuff. Yeah. And they've got a, you can rent it for the night. It's the Jerry and a five hour Jerry Anderson night. Whoa. <laughs> I find it really weird because they're because they're ID twins, but yet totally, totally different personality-wise. And, it, and it's kind of interesting as well. I think we find whose traits are similar, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Obviously, we're all related, but me and Cassidy are really similar trait-wise. And Ro always jokes that I'm Cassidy one cal. I'm like Diet Cassidy. <laughs> and we kind of do the same things, but it's, it, I, I think it's, it's like you're saying about the getting into the stuff. I think it's because everyone's ex- accepted in the house. Yeah. It's because you've got some no families deny that you accept each other's natures. When did you first find, or when did you first discover that you were on the spectrum? I was 43. Mm. It's one of those weird things though. I mean, um, we joked about it. Uh, one of the I was always you've seen the photos of me as a kid of like the white white hair. I look like when the midwitch cuckoos, and <laughs> it's kind of one of those things that you kind of trace back, and you're going to go. You've always kind of looked slightly differently, and I found it funny at the time. But he's a bit since then. One of my primary teachers used to refer to me as the little professor. Yeah, <laughs> which the connotations of that now is kind of a bit odd. So the boys from Brazil, but yeah, originally right. as a originally as a team, uh, I got told that it was a hormone imbalance. Yeah, and got put on some hormonal stuff. Which for somebody who has a really good memory, there's a kind of period as a team I don't remember, mm. which kind of tells you why you should maybe pump kids full of stuff that you don't know what it does after that they decided it was frontal lobe epilepsy i had yeah and i was about it was about a year ago i've never been able to figure out why somebody would think that yeah and one of my you probably got to see on the camera one of my main stims i move my right hand a lot yeah which is why when um if i'm speaking or having conversations i use my fingers to punctuate the words so i know where i'm going yeah so if I'm doing public speaking or an event, I always have a clipboard. Yeah. Because it starts to do it. And I found out about a year, 18 months ago, that one of the symptoms of frontal lobe epilepsy is a thing called fencing. Really? Where you do that. Yeah. So obviously my stim was, ah, yes, that'll be. Yeah. So um they put me on, I was on beta blockers for years and years. Then they decided it was depression. Yeah. And 
they put me on antidepressants, which was really awful because you probably can't tell it. I've always had kind of problems with body dysmorphia, was bulimic growing up and with self-harm. So I've always been paranoid about how my body feels. So every symptom of the antidepressants like put on weight, it just hit me. So I went from around 13 stone to about 19 stone. Mm. And there are photos that don't look like me. It's kind of really odd. And then uh, what had happened was, because um, I'd done kind of 15, 20 years working with kids, I was talking before that, uh, I had to give up a lot of the work when the girls got diagnosed because you couldn't get cover. So I was working with families, doing respite for autistic families, but couldn't get cover for when me and Russell were talking work. So I was volunteering in the school because I missed working with groups. Oh. And uh, one, of our, one of our PSIs, Linda, went, uh, you're just like my son. And I think all three of her kids are autistic. Went, you are just like my son. You are so like him. Oh. And I met him at a convention, and it was like a ginger me as a child. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, this is mad. So I went to the doctor. I went, yeah, I'm kind of intrigued. that One of the PSAs has said I might be on the spectrum. And the doctor's like, Daddy, your family? I was like, well, uh, my sister probably. There's loads on my dad's side. You're easy asking who's not autistic on my dad's side of the family. Uh, my dad says he's not. it's just his why. Um, so she sent me for... To, to get tested and it was a kind of very political process at the time and uh, I had about three or four meetings and the first time they went definitely yes but we need to get your wife in and basically they were going um yeah well we yeah we're going to give you a diagnosis of Asperger's but we really don't want to because mm. we try to get rid of that plus uh we don't think you should have any support because you've got your wife and she can deal with it and at the time, it's something we're investigating there. They basically got rowing and basically bullied us to go, just what I just, you know, we all know, but can we just say that you'll look after and you'll be fine and you can't access it? And it was a, she says she always feels like she was kind of betrayed by that. Yeah. You've got enough with the kids, you don't need another, another thing on top of it. <laughs> um, and it was one of those things, and I've always said it, it was like as soon as you find out, it's like somebody's giving you glasses. Yeah. And I think everything makes sense. But what I have noticed, that I think, it, to me anyway, it's one of those things that it has, if it makes sense straight away, brilliant. Yeah. If it's going to take your time to process it, take the time out to process it. Yeah. And I find especially since, you'll probably see it as well, you'll, you'll see the upsurge of the social media of autistic adults posting and being advocates. Yeah. But a lot of them, you'll still read in the bios. They go, oh, yeah, I still have to read show that. And you notice how quickly it goes from advocacy to echo box, if that makes sense, where oh, yeah. it just becomes... And yeah, sometimes it's really weird not being a huge... Themselves. Yeah, it's and not being a huge Trek fan, but I always it is the thing you feel like Spock, and part of you feels like, you know, I'm this mixed heritage. Which side do I have to go on with? The I know, one minute it's all making sense, and there's empathy. People listening to each other, the next minute they're just talking to themselves, and they're not mm. very interested in anyone else because they haven't. There comes a point when they can't help themselves. Yeah, mm. it's just me. You know. And um, so I do find it the thing I always joke with Rob about it is the. The autistic movement as it is, it's kind of like watching a normal political movement in Fast Forward. Yeah. So like you like the history of feminism from the suffragettes onwards is 100 years, and it's almost like 
automatically cuts out all the boring bits. So it's like a fast speed <laughs> catch up. And you'll have the infighting that normally would be about two years. The group lasts about a week. And then people drop out of favour. It normally would take you know a couple of years for something. Oh, ten minutes. Somebody has dropped out of favour, and I find that kind of really fascinating. Um, but I think personally, I've always been kind of as a kid. I was the weird blonde kid that everyone looked at. When I got to my teens, I was like the goth with the mohegan. Everyone like, and we were kind of talking about it, and it's almost like the masking I've used has been a. You're going to be looking at me anyway. I'm going to take it to that extreme so that if I walk into the room, I'm going to be the person that dominates the room. Mm. If if I'm out, because I think if you draw that attention to yourself, you're then in charge of the attention. Well, I'm often am because that's my technique rather than my ego. It's because I've always been a man with a gun to my head. So one reason to do the show is my adaptation uh-huh. socially is this energy. I'm the guy mm. talking to stop people shooting me. People think I'm narcissistic yeah, or eager, Matt. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's fair. And, uh, and it was really interesting that last time I saw you in Edinburgh all those years ago, it was when I think it was one of your friends from drama school was there. Yes, yes, Will. Well, Morgan now. Yeah, he came to see you at the end. And it was the, the kind of, even though it was two couple of minutes, the relationship and the way that he was with you was very similar. I've got my, my best mate, Jay, who we met when we were seven. Yeah. I was yeah. in the school playground. I noticed he was wearing the Star Wars T-shirt. Where I, went, I like Star Wars too. You're going to be my friend. And like 44 years later, <laughs> we're pals. And it's really weird because it, it's a very similar relationship. It, even seeing the TV for a second, I was going, this is a very similar relationship. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, We'll meet up, me and Joe meet up once a year. He's in Devon, so we'll get a hotel in the Midlands. And it, 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 it's just that, that interesting. I always joke when people go, oh, autistic people don't make friends. But no, we just, we're just really good at picking them. Yeah. <laughs> I've got this, I've got this pal. I don't need any others. I, I found this one. I'm uh, keeping that one. Um, so it's, it's, a box off to my best friend from when I was 10. With a recording mm. machine in it and, it and a special letter, which is what I would have written when I was 10 to my equally 57 year old mate and his four sons and his wife. And I just sent that in the post office now. Uh. I think as well, I, I always say with, with the whole thing, and you'll do it with the show as well, is yeah. I think as, as if you can humanize something to the point where you can have fun with it. Yeah, it becomes kind of more real, if that yeah. makes sense. And it's even in like with representation on TV and stuff. I mean, I know a lot of people aren't fans. I really love Atypical, the American series, because Sam in that is very similar to me growing up. And there are really? things that, you're, like, really? um, yeah, I. I don't know whether you've seen it or are aware of it. Well, I saw the first series and I never watched it again. I've never yeah. liked it. It's, it. it's one of those shows that if you take away the fact A, it's American, B, it's <laughs> kind of a little bit cartoony at times, there are certain <laughs> situations in it that I, I will cringe. And go, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a point where Sam goes to see his therapist and he's talking about dating and he decides that because the therapist is giving him advice, that the therapist actually loves him. 
and he's yeah. gonna ask her out. And I did that with one of my, my art school lecturers. Yeah, yeah. Well, if it's a woman's being nice thing. to you at a bus stop, she obviously, she, you know, yeah, she was there. obviously just she a good one with who wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, so I found some of the stuff, and his relationship with his best friend again, he's absolutely brilliant. Because I think when they got to the second series, they took on board some of the criticisms, actually went, what can we do with the character? Actually, we'll, we'll just do him going out with his pal or falling out with his pal. And yeah. So the characters become, it's almost as if the soap elements of the family become the yeah. soapy bits, and Sam just kind of wonders his way through it. That's so you're going, oh, his mum and dad going to divorce. Is his sister a lesbian? Ah, Sam's got into art school, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> the thing I found very interesting, well, from an art point of view, is I'm terrified of penguins, and yeah. Sam is obsessed with penguins. And there's a bit in series two where, and this is where it became interesting for me, uh, Sam's in an art class, and the lecturer says, I want you to draw, to Sam, draw the penguin, but without physically representing the penguin. And the subplot of the episode is how Sam's brain works, that he finds this really impossible to do. But the interesting thing is the artist that they hire to draw for Sam yeah. is an autistic artist. Wow. So when it came to the script off, and Sam has to do a representation of a penguin, but he can't do it because we've said the way it's was the guy that does the artwork for the show went, I can't do this because of Emma Ray. <laughs> so the behind the scenes of the guy doing the artwork actually mirrored the episode they were doing. Since you with him, went, like fifty attempts, yeah. and the director, the producer, but no, that that's not what we want. And he was like, I can't figure out how you really want me to do this. And he ended up having to do it over a longer period and add bits to it to get a vague notion of how they wanted it. So, yeah, I think. I'm a huge fan of that. And the, the one I always say, which the funniest thing for me, you, which you've seen, is that tattoo. Uh, this is my design. design from Hannibal, yeah. Yeah, which Hannibal was broadcast the first episode two days after I got my diagnosis. Really? And it was, I'm not a fan of the movies. And the season yeah. came on, I went to, that'll be a bit of a laugh. We can take the piss out of it. Uh, downloaded it from the States. Yeah. Day after it was broadcast, yeah. put it on, and you you don't realise that they come at um, Will Graham. They talk yeah. about his Aspergers literally within the first scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a character for me, I went this. This is a brilliant representation of an autistic character. This is he is absolutely just a, a, a person. The, the subtlest thing they do in the first episode, Will's going to the office, he pulls out his drawer, and there are four shirts that are the same shirts. They never make a point of it. And I loved um, Hugh Dance's portrayal. As you say, he's just portraying a really cool, cool character. Yeah. Um, it? yeah. it's, not, it's not a superpower. He's not awkward. He's awkward in the way the other characters are slightly awkward because of the situation. That's how you want to see people be portrayed. You're absolutely right. Yeah, he's great. Loves his dogs. And there's a brilliant the subplot in series two where he's been framed for the murders by Hannibal and the yeah. court because there's a, a big thing in it that he's self-diagnosed and because of the work he does he can self-diagnose himself. And the court are going, you've only said that because it's a cover because you've been committing the murders. 
And I always remember there was an interview with you dancing this, and um, I forgot the name, but Brian Fuller. And I went, so what was the reasoning behind saying that Will was self-diagnosed autistic? Is it for the subplot in series two when he's in court? And they went, no, we, we decided that if, if we made him self-diagnosed, if anybody said to us, that's not an autistic trait, we could go, yeah, that's just him being an arse. <laughs> and they literally did it to cover their backs. Well, <laughs> it absolutely- can be unpleasant, yeah. We are human. That's it. As uh, Ro always says to me when I do that, she'll go, Ash, your autism's showing. Yeah. Or she'll go, oh, you're playing that card now. You can't play that again for the rest of the night. Yeah. So it becomes the kind of shorthand that... And, and like I say, some folk get quite offended by that. But no, we can have a laugh. I can have a laugh at my inability to understand... You, you know me long enough I'm, I'm kind of really film literate and literate about stuff like that the work I do but there's things like the film Face Off yeah. took me about 15 years to realise that it's called Face Off because not only do they have a face off they literally take their face I don't get that yeah. stuff they swap faces yeah yeah, yeah that, that's where it comes from who knew and um, Whoa. <laughs> we'll take the piss out of that all the time because it's obvious stuff or, or things that I kind of just don't get my head around and if you've got the choice of getting offended for yourself or just having a laugh then it's more human i think yeah Yeah. so we have a way by which you know we live our lives and it works being us and Mm -hmm. this is the thing about how how can you technically qualify to have a disorder when you have such positive functionality in your own eccentric way you know the the idea of functional dysfunctional able to disable ordered and disordered doesn't take into account when people can can get past that and Mm -hmm. live you know straightforward capable lives as autistic people do you agree that it varies in each individual with each other it does the the thing that i find especially i mean Especially in the house where you've got Casty is kind of no sense of danger, selectively new, incredibly into. I mean, he'll sit and animate stuff. He does animations. He's taught himself coding. They found out at school. Our school's got the big screen TVs on, so everyone in the main hall can see the news that's going during the day. And Casty got in and changed all the passwords and put CBBS on the week that he's died. He's incredibly bright. Um, <laughs> And the girls have got the things that they do. The girls, and I think because, yeah, it's a spectrum. But you look at the house; we are so totally different. But I think if you look at us all together, there are certain fundamental things that are the same. And I think it's 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 that vague thing. It's less to do with functionality, and more just to do with reaction. If that makes sense. Yeah. Me and Casty are incredibly similar uh, in. Mm. The fact that if we get upset or get meltdown, me and Cassie are incredibly similar in that way. We potter in the same way. We place things in the same way. Uh, Me and Amelia go from best friends to being at loggerheads because we'll know that we can wind people up, whereas Amelia, MF is more everyone's mom. She has to make sure that everything's okay. Mm. She was like, it was when she was asking you about the, the Jerry Anderson thing there, she would genuinely be worried until you gave her the answer because oh, she would go, always oh, thinking, always thinking about, always think, oh, and as soon as I come off the phone, she'll go, Paul, okay, everything okay. So it, it, 
it's almost like everything's kind of exaggerated, if that makes sense. Everyone's emotions and feelings, are, and I say exaggerated, but I think that they're, they're much more honest. They're not filtered through things, if that makes sense. And I, I find that when when people go, I, I joke about it all the time. People go, "Oh, but communication and social issues. You have problems with no, we have." I personally have issues that you have social things that don't make sense. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like if people go to a funeral, rarely people react honestly at a funeral. There'll be people who want to be seen as clean, people want to do this, want to do that. And I always go, no, but surely if you're in a situation like that, emotionally you should just be able to react how you want. If you end up going to a funeral and you think the person's an arse, Surely that is the one place you can say it because people will go at that point, oh, but they're probably upset and they're not realizing. And I, I find sometimes the, the it's not the subtleties, the, the the excuses and the reasons because you go, no, you, you're using too much energy. On I remember years ago I was working for ComEd and I had a new boss start who one of the women I was working with, she'd been at college with him and he was a real bully and he would sexually harass people in college. He got the job as her boss and was doing the same thing. And everyone was getting really upset. Went, well, have you not reported? Have you not, oh, it's not really worth it because, you know, it's really difficult to get people to find that. And I'd, I'd been in a situation where I'd been away at a funeral. I'd missed a group because I had to go to a funeral. Yeah. And he sent a letter going, um, you didn't turn up for blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, no one told me or asked me for permission. Uh, I'm having a meeting on such and such a night. So I turned up at the meeting, he wasn't there. And the woman goes, yeah, he kind of does that to scare people because he thinks people are scared of him or won't turn up. And I went, right, I've turned up. I'm climbing three hours pie. I'm also putting in a complaint as to why he never turned up for a meeting. Yeah. It's, you can't do that. And I went, no, give me a reason why I can't, which is a real legit, because he's a bit of a bully and nobody, oh, so basically no one stands up to him. You'd like, And it's that whole... Do you get what I mean? Yeah. People will put things in, oh, we can't say this and we can't do that, we can't do that. We can't. You, you, your lives would be better if you actually just occasionally just be honest about things. And I think I've always joked, any issue, and I find the same with the kids, anything that's upset us or any, anything that's ever caused a meltdown or caused me to be upset or depressed, that's never been because I'm autistic. It's because the people around me aren't autistic. And it's very difficult sometimes to figure out, you know, uh, if we've got the, the communication problem and the social problem, yeah. why are you not trying to fit in with us? Because obviously we have to make differences. So it's like the whole thing, you can teach a dolphin to use flashcards, mm. but you can't teach a person to speak like a dolphin. Yeah. Ergo, the dolphins are actually more intelligent <laughs> because they can speak two languages. <laughs> You can teach a, teach a monkey sign language. You can't teach a person to communicate with a monkey and swing through a tree really quickly. Very good. Therefore, the gorillas are probably slightly more intelligent. Well, they just sit around, beating the chest, yeah. reproducing, defecating, eating, sleeping. Sounds good to me. It's mm. <laughs> all their lives are about. And I just, I think, I, I, you'll probably find this well, when you get to meet people, the, the, the honesty is really refreshing. Yeah. And there's something about not having to. I remember the first time I spoke to you when I first met you after the show, and it's like there's no airs and graces. You're like, hi Paul, love your show. My name is Ash. Hi Ash, let me start. You just start talking. Yeah. 
because it's almost, I don't know whether you get it, it's almost like there's a kind of unwritten connection that you kind of know. Yeah. This is one of my tribe. This is one of my people. Oh, yeah, man. I, I don't know whether you ever get that. You kind of go, I know, I, I, I feel sure. safe. I can trust this person. I know. And it's not with, <laughs> yeah, it's not with everybody, but there, there's certain people that you kind of go, yeah. And and I found it I was at the, the the Scottish Autism Conference the other year, not last year, obviously, because we did nothing last year, and was sitting talking to uh, this girl, Dr. Felicity, and you could see we've been talking about this, and she got a, a kind of support cuddly dog with her. We were chatting, talking about work, and she went, "Oh, here's my card. Have you got a card?" Went, yeah, and you could see kind of the NT folk. Going, She's she's giving a strange man her cut. No, this isn't what you do in these situations. We were both like, now we've clicked, it's fine, we can do the card thing. And it is almost like I was saying, it's that kind of unwritten. I, I get on with it. I I could actually stand and talk with this, this is fine. Mm. And like I was saying, it was like the first time I met you at the the, the Stealth Aspis show. And the interesting thing I found, and it's having girls in the heads, was Sarah at the time was almost like playing den mother. Yeah. And she would be going, oh, but you, you need to do this and you need to say that. And you can't say, and it was almost like, <laughs> and then you, you kind of notice that it's the autism and girls thing, that, that autistic women and girls always seem to be much more capable. And much more, we've said it with the girls as well, we don't know whether it's because women go through so many hormonal changes through life and so many different yeah, things. Yeah. And I, I always think about it, and it's a bit controversial when they say girls are underdiagnosed. And I, and a part of me thinks it, it's, it's not that they hide it, it's that they're actually really good, the majority are really good at being autistic. Yeah. They put us to shame. We kind of stumble through it, whereas women being autistic are just really good at it. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's very good at masking. Yeah, yeah. The, I always yeah. said their world is more close quarter. They're looking over the shoulders more than we do. It's yeah. a subtle arena of social interaction and combat that women mm. exist in. So they're always mm. having to be more on the case. Yeah, yeah. More detailed and sophisticated social skills than us. When we'll but I, I think what I was saying before I fired off on the tangent as well, I think what helps in, in this house is that it, it's it's never been that. Uh, you used to get that thing, you'll probably have read it as well. And, I mean, the girls are 17 next week, so it's only over, what, 17 years, when if your child got a diagnosis, you would be expected to go through a period of mourning. Right. And it becomes, I found a load of old books that we were tidying up, and it's kind of from the early 90s onwards, which are really interesting, the whole way to... And, I think in our house, I remember the day we got the diagnosis for the girls, Rose remembers as being hideous. There's a woman came around from, uh, uh, was it educational services or something? They had a really repellent perfume on. Oh. So the girls stripped naked and stood on the window edge, <laughs> screaming. And she went, uh, well, it's not a developmental thing. It's it's autism. This is a lifelong uh, disability that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your lives. As she walked out. Okay. <laughs> and at that point, I remember I got really upset. And this is where I get the, the you so get the things of me. I thought I went, yeah, can I go to the shops there? <laughs> That's it. We've had them. Can I go to the shops? So they, the girls were. It was eighteen months, and we got the diagnosis from the girl. So oh, I think I said to you, yeah. Um, I think it was because there were ID twin girls. I think it was 250,000 to one to have ID girls on the oh. spectrum at the time. Plus, 
I'm sure I told you the story. The girls thought they were the same child. Yeah. And the educational psychologist had said they'd read about it but never experienced it. So they had to teach the girls they were separate. Um, and so we, we, it was like the X Men. I've always said before we couldn't move for educational psychologists and workers in the house. You yeah. get like three rounds at once. So yeah, they, they ended up using big mirrors to teach the girls they were separate, and they would take one out of the room. And then I remember the day they ran into the hall and bumped into each other and fell, and you saw the recognition on the face that this is a different person. Yeah. Um, because even though, I mean, the girls were non-verbal till about six, but they would communicate in a way that we didn't understand that it was proper communication and proper games. And when they're sitting now, they still revert occasionally back to how they used to communicate. And right. they'll, they'll go through points of communicating in single words and noises. Yeah. And they'll be giggling. And you can't understand what they're saying because it's yeah. not for you. It's for them. Brilliant. And if you go and try and join in, they'll they'll shut down. Yeah. And kind of stop you. So yeah, so I think I say I think it's because it, it, it's just always at the point then the casting and then you kind of go, This is just a way of life. This is Brilliant. you know you and can't hate that with her brother, what you're describing, your daughters that my friend and his and her brother don't even have to speak, they can communicate. Uh -huh. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating to see, and uh, you know, uh, but it is one of those things. It's I think I don't know. It, it's not saying earlier. As soon as you get a diagnosis and you know what it is, if you you need to at that point go, this makes sense. This makes sense of this. This makes sense of that. This makes sense of that. There's no good getting upset about it. Go, oh, you know, this is to blame for this. It's like, no, you can put it all together and then go at that point. I, I finally, I'm really lucky and I know exactly who I am. Mm. And I think there are very few people in the world that are lucky enough to be able to go at any age. This all makes sense. Oh. And I think that's, that's what we kind of need to kind of go is, is quite important. I'm, I'm, yeah. I always said I'm not that spiritual or into kind of Zen and things like that, but I think that is a very Zen thing. Well, yeah, Jay's all these people who... That's very, um, very Buddhist, and that's exactly yeah. the thing that all I'm trying to do is make things better and people can have a positive identity and a, a lovely family dynamic like yours you've described is what I'm after. Absolutely FAB. Mm. That's what it's about. Yeah. It's not simple, really. No, it's very spiritual. It, it does know? seem really simple. I think that's the point. It's the yeah. stinging black and white and simplified thing. You think that can't be that easy to sort out the entire world. Not all parents it, get to be as successful as you guys, you know, and have this environment you create, this this synergy. And that's quite mm -hmm. beautiful. It's quite a privilege, may I say, to 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 visit your home virtually and, and to experience all that. It's quite beautiful. It's it's wonderful. Once everything's back to normal, if you ever glass go away, you can come round in person and experience the madness that is the madness. And when I'm gone, uh -huh. you just have to start counting what's missing because I'll be out. I'll be out. Them bloody tardis. <laughs> I mean, the will spot them. Well, yeah, I think it is. It is I think. I don't know whether you find it as well. It, it, it's really not difficult to to to. You have ups and downs, but. Yeah. The idea of wanting everyone in the house to be happy and really important to be safe yeah. and to be cherished and loved shouldn't be a difficult thing to do. 
Mm. That should really be, yeah. You know, the so parents who is going against the autistic nature and trying to so-called normalize. You have normalized. There's a lot of people autistics as well. They don't want to be what they are. They want to be square peg in the round mm. hole. They want to be neurotypical. They all want to be neurotypicals, and we've seen that uh -huh. particularly people in the past few years agitating on social media who are clearly want to be neurotypicals, and they're going against their true natures. Mm. And you done you've done the opposite, and it's it's worked. It's brilliant. Mm. Yeah. But we, we just uh, we'll, we'll point out the differences occasionally have a lot. There was a thread somebody did years ago, and it was, do you have any? What, what do you do with the neurotypical people in your house? And I know we only have one, but she can change her hairstyle. And she does that. And somebody went, oh, that's a terrible thing to say. But everyone else got into the humour yeah. of it. And. Um, is the joke we've we've always joked it was when when you first kind of get if you because it's normally you'll have one maybe two children in there and you always get that done like the the cuckoo in the nest or how to, how I deal with my autistic siblings and things like that and we always chat why is there not a book how do I deal with my entity wife or mother we have and people talk about it and I go we have no support there yeah. is no support for having an NT person in the house yeah there's no national NT society yeah. There's no uh, there's no clubs we can take. There's Coronation there's, Street. There's neighbours on the telly. There's no yeah. cinema showings we can take them to. Well, and there are. Yeah, love stories mainly. Uh, sex in the City, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. You know. We kind of go. Uh, people kind mm -hmm. of realise where you're coming from from Spain. It's just you know, <laughs> this is how it is. Everyone's you know, everyone in the house is utterly their own person yeah and it's that every household will be different and you work because of the differences so it's not like it's a big major difference you might be catholic and marry somebody protestant that's going to cause issues you need to deal with that if you're autistic your partner's not autistic then it's it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna throw up things occasionally but not things that are gonna like destroy the world yeah. Mm. Occasionally you'll say something that gets taken the wrong way, or occasionally you'll not take the bins out because you're busy <clears throat> drawing some. This chair was from my mother-in-law's place that my mom, my wife inherited, and she's so it's it's what you were describing now, keeping your room going. Yeah, it's done the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I I would say that even with work-wise, I put a tablet over the lockdown, which I've used a couple of times. Yeah. But I, one of my friends, Susan Illustrator, so I find it really weird. I always use 0.5 pens. If I need the line to be thicker, I put more yeah. paper underneath it so it yeah. soaks into it more. I don't use a thicker pen. And that's what you draw your work on. Yeah. Quite and uh, I, use, I use photocopy paper and the same pens I've always used since art school. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wish I could never draw. I wish I could. I was never a drawer. But I did produce a cartoon series and all sorts of designs I've yet to digitise and put on uh, online in the late 70s when I was in school, and I stopped doing that. And I stopped playing with toys when I was 10. Not anymore. I've got I've still got all the toys. Still love my toys. Well, you should do, you should do what I'm doing. Because cameras are really easy to come by now. You'd be amazed what mm -hmm. you could produce. You, the whole family could do its own TV series. Uh, we've got Cassie, so I'll have to send you the link. I think I put it up on Facebook a couple of, years, uh, a couple of months ago. Cassie yeah. was just sitting and, and did an uh, animated version of the Doctor Who title sequence. Good. 
and he just decided to make his own version of the title sequence, which is, I think he's looking at school, there's a couple of teachers who just allow him to do it. Mm. And I think, again, as well, it's pushing, it's pushing of the boundaries of, I think a lot of the time, it's something hopefully that works. I mean, I've been into the school a couple of times, I've been to be going again, is that something like Cassidy, who we always dealt with with school, I think school-wise, even though the kids have got a really good school, I was at the school systems of very 19th century and very 18th yeah. century. Yeah. And um, I always remember a brilliant teacher. Amelia used to hate maths but loved history. Mm. And Wilma, one of her old teachers, would say, but history is maths because of the dates and where you know, when people lived and when people don't. And that made Amelia click onto it to oh, a point yeah. of we were at Stirling Castle. And she interrupted the guide to talk about Mary Queen of Scots, and you could see her teacher kind of tearful about it. <laughs> and it, it's it's just a different way. So I remember Cassie's parents evening, and they were going, um, "Yeah, you know, he's really good at the coding. He kind of really gets the animation, the computer stuff. But when it comes to RE, his critical thinking's not that good." And I was like, "It's RE. It's like, what? No, how? Where? What? What are we saying? <laughs> how is it relevant? Yeah." yeah. <laughs> And I think oh, it's, it's kind of, yeah, and I've always said to them with Cassie, I went, look, it's not like he's going to get to 16. Yeah. Pass all his exams and go to uni and move out. Why can't we use the education to find something he excels at and he enjoys? Yeah. Right. Like outdoor work or camping or the computer stuff that he will actually be able to go on and just enjoy doing. And, yeah. you know, so, and I think sometimes you still do get kickback of you know oh but we we need to do these things i remember at school um the first time we did history uh when i was in secondary school and the teacher we were doing the piltdown man mm. and, he, and the question was, is the piltdown man real yeah and i failed so, but yes and she said, no but it was a fake and i was like you didn't ask me if it was a fake right you asked me is the piltdown man real there are photos of it it exists yeah but it was it was created as a fact. Well, no, you didn't say was uh, the film uh, down paint. You asked if it was real. Right. They built it. They named it the Piltdown Man. Yeah. Therefore, it's real. Right. When was that Piltdown Man created? I can't remember now off the back of my head. I think I blanked, blanked all the way. But it was that idea of the way it was worded was such a yeah. way. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I know the TARDIS is real. I don't mean it's real as in it really works, but I know it's real because... It's philosophy, it. you know. This is kind of yeah. philosophy, you know. When is a brain of that nowhere to build down a bat? And, uh, that's why I got told off for being cheeky, where I think I was looking at had three teachers that really yeah. enjoyed my company, and they kind of... You know, I remember I had a really great art teacher and a really crap one who turned around one day and went, oh, you draw too much comic stuff, that, that's rubbish. Nobody nobody ever becomes famous or makes money doing that. So the day after, I took in a list of artists from Marvel and DC and their average wages. Right. <laughs> but yes, they actually do. And uh, the, the best I got in was when, when I applied for art school, I found in I got in at the interview. And he right. told me I wouldn't. I wouldn't get in. They told me the interview. So um, he went, oh, you'll, you'll not get in. You're, you're too much of an arsehole. You'll not get in. Oh, uh, yeah. I, went, I, bet, I bet you a tenner I'll get in. And then I found out the interview so I knew. So I went into class with the letter. I went, got my letter from Stonebridge. And he got up it. And he opened it. And I went, they told me on the day. That's ten pounds. <laughs> now, which art school was it you got into? 
I went to Stourbridge in the West Midlands. Not posh enough, posh enough to go to Bourneville. Mm. So I went to Stourbridge Art School for... I was there for two years before I was asked to leave. Oh, God. Uh, why were you asked to leave? Uh, putting a fire extinguisher through a lecturer's windscreen is what? not a creative act. It's vandalism, I was told. You know, the Philistines, fools, situationist, you know. Yeah. And it was really odd because I ended up, I got a job near enough directly after working as a graphic publicist yeah. for the city council. <laughs> and I always say I learned so much more doing that job. Yeah. Because it was in a real world setting. And you learned how to, we had a budget for how much paper and ink we could use in a month. So if you figured out that's like 10 posters, you yeah. would do your, your 10 posters in the first two weeks and then be able to take two weeks off. You, and it was actually all the stuff at art school, which is how to talk about art. If you get into a real-world environment working in an office for the city council, nobody wants to know about the the way you structure a picture. Where you play. They just want the piece of artwork to work. Right, yeah. And it, it, it's one of those things that's always stuck with me. No one, no one wants to know what your process is. They just want the piece to look like you want it to look. Yeah. And your job is to nudge it in a way that works that they think is then their idea. Yeah. If that makes sense. No one wants to know. If you take your car to be fixed, you don't want to have a lecture on how he's fixed the car. You just want the car fixed. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's one of those things that that takes the mistake about, which shows that other people can do it. Kids can join in and do art and break the rules because they're not too sure what the rules are to begin with. So you're just breaking it. So yeah, I found working in that environment with manly men that were builders and things. <laughs> you couldn't go in and go, I'm an artist creating. So we said, can you make me a poster for the old ladies' dinner group? You right. couldn't go, no, I'm an artist. I, I can't draw. <laughs> yeah, okay. Should um, we do an old lady? Do you want a surrealist one or an abstract one? You know, post uh -huh. house deconstructed poster. I want a poster with letters on it. And I find that works. It's uh, other last year, you probably said it, Get Your Genki, the Japanese record label I did the work for, do the artwork for. Yeah. And uh, last year we did a tweet along of the best of CD we'd released. And a couple of the Japanese magazines had, had said, oh, we'll retweet it. Can you tell us all about the design and things? Yeah. And it was really funny because it came to the CD. And the major difference is it's a different shape. So you're kind of moving your artwork to match a square, that rectangle. And I did kind of the mecha, the robot on the cover, there's the go with the samurai sword. And all the folk, obviously, because it's on cassette, it's proper collectors as well that will buy it. Yeah. And folk were going beforehand, oh, obviously the robot's from the Flaming Lips cover because that's kind of Japanese influence and blah, 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 and this, that. And I can see what colours you've used and why you've done this and the Japanese good look colours and that. And we came to the Twitter link. So, we went, so is that true? Is it like a Flaming Lips tribute or the colours? And I went, no. The first album I remember buying that had a Japanese robot on the cover was the Zig Zig Sputnik album. Yeah. Yeah. It's my tribute to the Zig Zig Sputnik album. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but no, it's literally, yeah, it's literally my tribute to that album because oh. I really liked it. And folk were going, oh, but I've, I've seen it. I've been doing some work at the moment, uh, illustrations for a Britpop, uh, oh, okay. Britpop. And it was one of the that had to do, it's kind of 32 full color illustrations for each yeah. chapter. And I was talking to the guy, uh, Paul, that I'm doing the 
another poll that I'm doing the book with. Yeah, no, it and he sent me the, the suede illustration. Yeah. And he really liked how it was. He liked to anyway. Well, I like the fact that there's kind of almost like an animalistic print behind it and there's the water. And he said, I kind of assumed it's because, you know, they were about rebirth and blah, blah, blah. And I went, nah, I said, it's because uh, the only song I could think of was uh, Animal Nitrate. I thought, animal, animals drink water. <laughs> we'll put that back in. And he went, I'm just overcomplicating what you're doing. Yeah, I'll just do it so it looked nice. Yeah. <laughs> and he went, oh, and I was putting all these. Did you know Johnny Dean, menswear? Uh-huh. Have you ever met him? Never met him. He is out about being autistic. He did an interview at the first Ortcon the NAS did. Great. Really clever guy, yeah. I think I might have to draw him soon. I think yeah. he might be one of the ones to draw. I, I think right. I was, there was a band, the Flamingos, uh, that were kind of really obscure Brit pop band. And I think it's the guitarist in the band has a non-verbal daughter. Yeah. And he's written a book about how they communicate through music. So he's trying to get me a copy of that. As soon as I find out the title... I'll pass it on. And I got sent this the other day. I've not read it yet, but I don't know whether you have. I'll just quickly grab it. <gasps> Cast is playing James Bond. Which is a French comic. Irreversible differences. Wow. Um. It's a, a yeah. uh, autistic writer and illustrator. So it's from a couple of years back. So that's going to be interesting to see how that's seen across. It's really lovely. Christian, the guy I did the label with, yeah. is just incredibly fascinated yeah. about everything autistic because they're talking to me with the kids. And I think I'll tell you, we had Takara, who was on the label. We released her solo LP. And she's from Tokyo and has Asperger's. And that was the weirdest experience ever to work with. And so I come from going, I'm never working with anyone like it. But um, the difference with how she's treated compared to... I always see Japan as probably the most autistic country in the world. Just everything about it is so... yeah. And she was talking to me online and she went, but you're married with children? I was like, yeah. Uh, the doctors told my parents not to allow me a boyfriend, yeah. but not to allow me friends. So basically she sits, records music and buys toys, which to me, possibly now I'm thinking about it, seems the perfect life. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was really interesting kind of to see the differences in the way that she works musically. I'll have to send you one of the codes for the download so you can hear her yeah. stuff. It's kind of very... When she records in the house... Uh, if the levels need turning up, she opens the doors in the house to get a different sound level. <laughs> Rather than actually do it on like a, a unit. Yeah. So she'll record a song and it'll take her like three or four months to record a song. And there might be one little thing in the background. She will not release the music to this done. So I think in 12 years, she's released eight tracks. Brilliant. Because they have to be, they have to be perfect. Well, that's perfectionism for you. It's like uh, Chinese uh, democracy. How long did that take? Mm -hmm. Ten million dollars and like fifteen years, and then he put out this album. 
But it was the funniest thing working with her because, again, it's the whole thing that you'll find is the the, the black and whiteness of it. She wanted the booklet was to be in English and Japanese. And there's a font that I've got. There's a kind of default Japanese font that we use across all the, the releases. Okay. Because it's it, other than reinstalling everything, it's really the only Japanese one you can get. I found out later that uh, whilst I've been doing it, it's about two, three years we've been doing it now, is I didn't realize that isn't actually a default Japanese language. Yeah. It's not like English. Yeah. Japanese isn't a real, isn't a, an actual language. It goes with the provinces. Ah, it's a relative. So we found things like uh, we did a J, um, OB strip, which is the, the card strip that you get on Japanese album. Yeah. So we had the information on it, and I did what you were doing, English. I had it run down the way. And I'll put a slight silence it run down the way. What the bands went, that's completely altered what it says. Yeah. And the fact that it's idolized changes the meaning of it. So right. we've gone from Gen- Genki Volume 6 out there to some like, yeah. I liked my potatoes. <laughs> and so when we got the text, you kind of go for what averages out as the text. And um, she'd gone with the album, I want this font. And I was like, well, what's, where's the font? Uh, couldn't get it anywhere. And she uses her iPad, and it's the default iPad font. And I went, but I can't get the default iPad font. You know, this is, and I jokingly said to Chris, I said, look, the only way we can get it the way she wants is if I uninstall everything on my computer, install a Japanese operating system, get somebody I know who speaks Japanese to come and show me how to do it. Which to you and me, we know is me being really sarcastically over the top. So Christian said the same back to her, but she took it as a serious answer. Oh, so Christian said you can install a Japanese operating system and get annoyed. No, I'm being sarcastic. I can't do that. And then she went, just use the font you've got then. <laughs> and it was after all that. Yeah. We used the same fonts. <laughs> well, that's that's that is a lot to take into account. That's a huge, huge thing. It, it really is. Ash, my goodness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so hopefully I've not been you here too much today. No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful because somebody who can take their autistic nature and so turn it into a way of life and then turn it the other way around, the way of life is the nature, which in turn you live through that and creatively speaking as well. And the way that your family has used the common denominator of loving the same icons and objects and the same artwork and the same representations of television and film. It's very interesting. They, in NeuroTribe, Stu Silverman said that science fiction came from scientific fiction, which was a, a term painted by Hugo Gernsback Gernsback for the uh, stories that were being written in the uh, magazine he put out from, for enthusiasts of ham radio, original crystal radio sets. So the uh-huh. radio sets came first, then the newsletter came, and then stories, very scientific fiction. So a certain sorts of people presumably undiagnosed autistics and very, very systematic males who loved nothing but playing with radio sets came together. And then as we look around your living rooms, I can see it behind you. There's so many representations of 
of television series, one in particular, <laughs> which bonds us deeply and that has done nothing but good, nothing but good. Because all of this, all these are objects and icons and models, even, the, is that the Princess Leia down there behind you, the infamous Princess Leia model that Carrie Fisher talked about? There's a, there's a, a, very, a very little one. Well, that's the nice princess there. I was, I was thinking about the one that she got sent for Christmas by George Lucas with her oh, they, 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 the hut, and you could take the top her, off her, for God's sake, and yeah, she never got over it. There it is. There it is, the princess Leia in the metal bikini. Oh, for goodness sake. Yeah. A still boxed copy of it. <laughs> We're a bit past that, aren't we? They must have been getting desperate by Return of the Jedi. But none of this has ever done harm. That's the thing. All these TV shows, they do no harm. They only do good. And there's an underlying current of, of respect and positivity and community. I love your orrery on the roof, by the way, on the ceiling. Uh -huh. I love the planet. You just have to stick that there. Does it, does it clockwork? Does it move? It does. It goes. I've got to put the new batches in it. Oh, so, uh, I've got one up there. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. I've got these planetary spheres. With torches in the middle. You know, whoops, sorry, you light them up. At, you switch them on at night, then all the you can see the whole of the... We had the accident the other day. Mars fell down. <laughs> oh, that thing. <laughs> you got to watch Mars. We've had trouble with Mars. <laughs> it landed in the living room. I think it's safe in vain. Oh. Can we leave it there, then? Because I've got to nip off. Yeah, well, I've just noticed I'm on 13% on my phone, so best if we do, otherwise I'll just disappear and you'll think I'm in a huff. We are ruled by our technology, and where did that come yeah. from? I wonder. Hmm. Well, goodbye, Audrey. Bye, nice to see you, Audrey, dear. I can see yeah, you. Yeah, you can say bye-bye. Hey, goodbye, goodbye, ladies. Really good see to you talk later. to you. See you later. Lovely to see you, dear. Later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Love you, Thank you.